Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Okay, you guys, there is so much more to life than just workouts and healthy recipes. This is all of those real moments, the good, the bad, and the sometimes hilarious things that make life so worth living. So how do you live it? This is the Let's Do Life podcast with me, Autumn Calabrese. What's up, you guys? Welcome to the Let's Do Life podcast. I am your host, fitness and nutrition expert, Autumn Calabrese. I'm so excited to have you here with us today, and I'm very excited for the guest that I have on with me today. He is a good friend of mine, a fellow Lafayette Lancer. Yes, we went to the same high school, although we didn't know it at the time. He is also a fitness and nutrition expert, a dietitian. He is the host of the number one health podcast, The Model Health Show, and best-selling author of the book Sleep Smarter, and now his newest book, Eat Smarter. You guys, welcome to the show, Mr. Sean Stevenson. Sean, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you on. So um, just for my fans and followers that maybe haven't had the opportunity yet to hear us chat, obviously, I've interviewed you for the monthly fix for Beachbody and our Coach Master Series. We talked about your first book, Sleep Smarter, but not everybody knows your background just yet. So can you give them just a little bit of the background about, about sort of some of your struggles? Because I just think it's so powerful to understand where you came from to where you are now as a fitness and nutrition expert. Sure, sure. Yeah, that even that term being an expert in this in this space was not my intention. I had no idea I'd be doing this work that I'm doing today. Um, you know, for me I was always looking at playing collegiate football and you know, that was really my my big goal in life was to be able to you know, make it to the NFL potentially. And, you know, everything looked really good for me in high school. I ran a four, five, 40 when I was just 15 years old. You know, I was, a, I, I went to one of those schools that just kind of churns out professional athletes. And so I was just kind of already at an elite level. And again, things were looking good, but that same season later on after football season, this was during track season while doing a 200 meter time trial with my coach, it was just my coach, me, and one other uh, fellow track member, and we were doing a 200 meter sprint. And as I was coming off the curve of the track into the straightaway, just from running, my hip broke. The iliac crest of my hip just broke off. And I had no idea what had happened. I'd never been injured before. And I just thought I maybe I pulled a muscle. And after I went and got a scan done, there it was, you know, my bone was kind of floating off in space. And what I was exposed to was something called standard of care, right? So this kind of thing happens, prescribe some, some NSAIDs and give, you know, give the guy some crutches, stay off the leg. Funny enough, I don't really mention this very often, Autumn, but I was also given some ultrasound treatment, which was pretty cool. And if you really think about this term ultrasound, it's using sound as a modality to heal to heal the body. You know, we know about ultrasound for maybe like getting a peek in 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 the womb and seeing the baby, but sound is actually a modality. There's so many incredible studies showing how sound can accelerate healing, reduce inflammation, 
help bone to regenerate. The list goes on and on. So just a little sidebar of how crazy it is. When we think so linear in our thinking about health and wellness, but sound is actually something that can help heal the body. Anyways, so it wasn't until five years later when I finally get this diagnosis because I had about half a dozen more injuries that de- demolished my potential in playing at the next level. You know, I've got game films literally here in my house where I'm breaking away. I've already left. I'm past the defensive back close to the end zone. And I just fall down because I tore something, Whoa. you know, just with nobody touching me, my body is just falling apart. And ultimately when I was 20 years old, I got this diagnosis of something called degenerative disc disease degenerative disc disease. So this is where essentially the the disc in between your vertebrae are rapidly degenerating and also uh, degenerative bone disease, basically just a severe kind of arthritis of the spine and the hips specifically. And, you know, nobody stopped to ask, how did this happen to a kid? I was just 20 years old. And my physician at the time, unfortunately told me that this was incurable. You know, there's nothing I could do about it. And to this day, I have no idea why I asked him this question, but I asked him, does does this have anything to do with what I'm eating? Should I change the way that I'm exercising? And he looked at me like cocked his head and he looked at me with pity. And he said, this has nothing to do with what you're eating. This is just something that happens. I'm sorry it happened to you. And we're going to help you to, to manage this. So he gave me a couple of prescription drugs and sent me on my way. But he also prescribed me bed rest. And the craziest part is I could walk, Autumn. I can still walk. It's all so crazy to me. I mean, I want you to keep going, but like, first of all, like 20 years old and degenerative disc disease. And then they're sitting there going, oh, basically like the doctor's telling you, sorry, bad luck of the draw. Yeah, exactly. Athlete, like on your way towards possibly NFL. And it's like, oh, no, nothing you can do. That's, that's what you're being told. By modern yeah. And, you know, you just brought us something else. Like my identity was torn to shreds as well. You know, who I saw myself as being this fit, capable athlete to now I'm just, I'm a helpless, um, I'm a victim, you know? And I really identified with that because it's very powerful when you get a diagnosis like that for somebody, from somebody you deem as an authority figure, it goes past your logic really interacts with your subconscious and unconscious thinking. You know, this is something called the nocebo effect, which is the kind of the dark side of the placebo effect. The placebo effect is where you get a positive injunction that say, you know, you're taking a, a medication that's going to normalize your blood pressure or normalize your blood sugar, or even help to break down your cancer tumor, you know, and there's placebo studies done on chemotherapy. And here's what people don't understand is that placebos are 33% effective on average in clinical trials. 33% of the time on average, somebody just believing that the drug or surgery has this healing effect, it then has a healing effect, even though it was a fake drug or sham surgery. You know, and this just speaks to, it's crazy. This speaks to the power of the human mind, which is the most powerful chem. Uh, pharmacy in the known universe for sure. And I say that very intentionally because the chemicals we create, every thought we have has correlating chemistry and the chemistry we create is lit. It's not bioidentical. It is made for us, for our receptor sites. So, you know, the nocebo effect is when you get a negative injunction, 
you know, this is incurable. Um, you're going to be on medication your entire life. You'll never walk again. You have six weeks to live. These kind of terminology. And I just shared a study on Instagram the other day uh, because there was this, again, I'm sure he's a well-meaning physician, but he was on the news here in LA, which is broadcasted to millions of people saying that if people go outside of their door and I, I couldn't believe it. So I, and I didn't want it just to be my words. I recorded him saying it on the television. And he <laughs> said that, you, by the way, I saw your post. He, he said that if you go outside because of the new strain, this variant, and he said that it, mask won't work. Social distancing won't work. Washing your hands is not going to protect you. He said, if you leave outside your door, you're putting yourself in front of us in front of a firing squad and subjecting yourself to a firing squad and everyone else in your household. And the problem, number one, there's many problems to that statement, but the biggest one is that the psychological implication of a firing squad means imminent death, number one. And number two, it, it also com- couples with a firing squad is related to you committing a crime, you know, and just as, and I put the study along with this on at this meta, massive meta-analysis on physicians needing to be much more mindful on the words that they use because of the negative health, health implications that continue to happen when a physician says something to a patient that is not accurate, right? So long story short, on my accord, you know, um, getting that diagnosis, having my identity shattered, it was two years went by and I, man, I was just messed up. I went from kind of a nuisance of a pain to chronic debilitating pain. I was on a myriad of drugs uh, just to even help me sleep at night as well as just one of the most challenging parts. I gained a lot of weight because, you know, they, all the physicians I saw told me not to do anything. And I was continuing to make my body out of the same, it's not, it's, I can't even call it food anymore that I had grown up eating. That was really the causative factor, a major causative factor behind my degeneration, you know, because you really are making your body out of the things that you're eating or lack thereof. And. Well, I want to say real quick. So I think it's so interesting because, um, I had the, you and I have such similar stories. It's crazy. When I was in college, I ended up with a back injury, went to the doctor, bulging disc in my lower spine, slight case of uh, like curvature in my spine and basically was told stop dancing or you'll be in back surgery by the time you're 19 years old. And no, you're never dancing again, really. You're definitely not doing it professionally. Um, Pick a different career. And same thing, I was devastated. I left school. I didn't finish my degree. I was lost Mm. two years. And it's funny how we've both ended up here helping people. But I think it's probably because of people like those doctors that didn't mean to crush us, but did. And then the perseverance of going, I'm not going to let you tell me I can't do something. At least that was for me. And my other thought was, I'm going to try to help people like so that they don't have to hear the same type of diagnosis. Like I want to help them be strong, be fit, be healthy, look at their nutrition. Um, And yes, I do want you to get into what you were eating and making your body out of, because I think that is huge for people to hear and understand that it is, if they could see me right now, I'm doing air quotes for the word food. (laughs) <laughs> so much stuff that that we're sold that's called food that's just not. Yeah, you know, one of the things you just said, which is, and I can't believe that your physician said that to you, you're never going to dance again. 
That's like, isn't that a George Michael song? Never gonna <laughs> do it again. Guilty. <laughs> who, who says that to somebody? Who says that? Yeah. Yeah, but you know, again, being so similar, that is the exact driving force. That once you have something that's so called incurable that can't you can't get better from, and and you do, and ultimately it was nine months later after two years of struggle and finally deciding to get myself healthier. Nine months later, I got a scan done and I had two, I had two disc herniations that had both retracted and the degeneration that was there before, where it's like, you can't even see through the disc. It was very dark and kind of crusty looking, um, you know, that, that re- the uh, degeneration had reversed. And now you could see the light shining through all of my disc. And so having something that's so-called incurable, and then you come out of that thing, it does put you in a different perspective of what's possible and wanting to instill that in everybody that you meet. And so, yeah, from there going and working in my clinical practice as a nutritionist, writing books, you know, starting the model health show and all of this has happened, but it really started out of my own struggle to really transform my own health. What, um, what kind of foods were you eating? Like, what did you grow up eating? Cause I know what it was, but just for the people listening, cause you know, people think, it can't be that bad. It's okay to eat these things. It won't hurt me. So can you just tell them like what your staple diet was until you started to learn more about food and its impact on our body? Oh man. And so when I say this, I'm not exaggerating in the slightest. I ate processed foods, literally every meal, every meal, we'll say 99% of the time. And this was during, you know, when, when I got this diagnosis, I was living in a one bedroom apartment in Ferguson, Missouri. I was commuting into the University of Missouri, St. Louis, trying to get my degree. And even though I'd never, I didn't know anybody in my life personally who'd ever went to college, let alone graduated from college. And so all of that, but I was eating the way that I was, you know, I, I just grew up inundated with this idea that this is, this is food. You just eat stuff, especially you eat what's what's cheap, what can get you full, right? And of course you want it to taste good. And so in my environment there in Ferguson, Missouri, literally within a mile and a half radius was every fast food you can imagine, seriously. And I'm talking about McDonald's, Taco Bell, Papa John's, Domino's, Lee's Chicken, Popeye's Chicken, Dairy Queen, um, Steak and Shake, Krispy Kreme, Burger King, (laughs) <laughs> Two Chinese food restaurants, but these aren't like a nice Chinese food restaurant. It's like they've got bulletproof glass up, you know, and it's like hot braised chicken and whatever. Uh, Wendy's. Like MSG galore. Right, right. Extra MSG. And so this was just what I saw in my environment. There was no gym. There was no health food store. There was no organic section of our grocery store. I never, I didn't know that that existed. I wanted to be healthy. The people in my environment wanted to be healthy. If I say I had 30 family members, 28 of my family members growing up are obese. Like this is, just, we didn't know any better. And I, I, I saw my family members. These are wonderful people. I saw them cap, count their calories. I saw them diet. I saw them do slim fast. I saw them do point systems, but there was a fundamental flaw in what they were learning. And those flaws have continued to kind of inundate the world of diet and nutrition and just look at the results. I don't have to make this up. Look at our society right now. You know, something is wrong. There's something wrong here. 
And this is what, you know, I really appreciate about what you're doing and really with Eat Smarter. When it came out, it became the number one. I don't know if I shared this with you, Autumn. I but saw it was because obviously I hang on everything you do on social media, but I see you blowing it up. And by the way, can't even get the book on Amazon right now because it's sold out. It's been sold out. It was crazy. Right. Within six days, it, became, it was the number one new release of all books, fiction and nonfiction. And then it was sold out within six days. But it just, they, they're actually back today. They just got back in stock yesterday, actually. And so they are back and available, oh, but good. we want to make sure we want to make sure that they stay in stock. So we got another big shipment of books coming in, hopefully. But you know, folks listening to this, do not wait. Uh, but anyways, but I just really feel that there's a statement that there's nothing more powerful than an idea whose time has come. And I think that we've seen enough death, we've seen enough destruction, we've seen enough decay. It's time for us to really take control of our health, to get our citizens and families educated. But a big part of that is that it has to be fun. It has to be joyful, you know, and that's the, that's the dichotomy with diet and, and, and exercise as well is that it has to be suffering. It has to be something that we loathe. It has to be something that is about deprivation and restriction. Any, the word diet psychologically, just if you think about that word means you can't do something. It means you, it means you have to deprive yourself of something right, for I- most of us. I was just going to say that you literally took the words out of my mouth. Like the definition is, a, you know, a special course of food to which one restricts oneself either to lose weight or for medical reasons. Like people are taking this word. I hate the word diet. I don't know about you. I hate the word diet. It like angers me because, because I'm, it's it's the word that is used when people say like oh be healthy be at a, a you know a healthy weight and I'm like you got you don't have to diet but because everybody has now taken this word and attached all these negative emotions to it right it's so hard to even talk to people about the fact that it really isn't as hard as we all make it out to be yeah i totally agree they just attack, they, they feel attacked. And so they attack and go on the defensive back. Ooh, yeah, that's, that's a fact. It's a fact, especially I think what, what is developed and I saw this in my clinical practice, and of course, just seeing it in a broader scope as well. We develop a state of learned helplessness when we continue to try all these different diets and then they kind of fizzle out and don't work for whatever reason. And so we get that negative association in our minds to the concept of dieting. And so I just want to blow that whole thing out of the water once and for all, because another unfortunate psychological schism or or just kind of disruption is that in our culture, when we think about diet and nutrition, most folks related to weight, we related to our weight and it's a huge mistake. It is a, it is a terrible singular association, even though it's true, it's one capacity but our nutrition, and this is what I want to bring forth and eat smarter, it's not just about your, your metabolism. It's also about how food controls your ability to make memories, how food controls your ability to have empathy and compassion and to connect with other people, how food affects your, uh, uh, your, your ability to, quote, stay young and youthful, you know, in your relationship to, you know, product, producing things like human growth hormone. And all of these other interesting things that are not talked about in the conversation. So I wanted to add more legs to 
the idea of nutrition and diet so that it's not just this one singular thing. And this goes back to the original point of the story and what I did to change my body. And this is just, I'm going to just share this overarching theme and then pass it back to you. Yeah. The most important takeaway truly right now is to understand what we're actually made of. And this is the underlying premise that's, that's really missing from conventional medicine and also conventional diet. Everything about us, everything that we see looking back at us in the mirror is the food that we've eaten or the lack thereof. Everything about us is made from food. And so in being in this field at this, at this point and having the opportunity now, you know, my colleagues are the top cardiologists in the world, the top uh, neurologists in the world, the top uh, gastroenterologists in the world. I'll talk with these guys and they're brilliant. They're absolutely brilliant, but the best ones realize how miseducated they are in their, in their, in their training, because we'll just use a cardiologist example. My friend, you go to school for 12 years to become a top cardiologist, but he doesn't even get to learn what the heart is made of. And the heart is made from food. Your heart is literally made from the food that you eat. He might get two weeks of training on nutrition, if that. And then 12 years of just all this other stuff focused on the treatment of the dysfunction of the organ instead of understanding what creates the dysfunction, which is having abnormal things you're making your heart out of. The blood running through your veins is made from the food that you eat and the water that you drink. The, the veins and arteries themselves are made from food. If we don't have this part dialed in and address this at this point, man, we've got a lot of work to do, you know? So that's the big overarching thing to understand. So with my spine, for example, my discs are made from the food that I eat. And I was on the diet that I was eating, you know, again, every meal, processed foods, fast food every day, unless I was totally flat broke. And then I eat like some ramen noodles or something, but I was making my body out of these things. And your body really works on a hierarchy of needs. And it even works on, it's kind of a premise of like, you can't create something if you're not giving your body the raw materials to do it, right? So I can't build a sustainable house if I'm making it out of like bubble gum and sticks, you know, <laughs> like I've got to provide the best stuff so my body can really make healthy, resilient tissues. It's a very simple principle, but it's not talked about in our diet paradigm. Well, that's what I love. Just the, just the name of the book right? Eat smarter. Because that's really what needs to happen is when we look at all these different diets out there, I'm just going to be a little bit harsh right now and be like, they're dumb. Like when I look at them, I'm like, oh my gosh, how do we look at this and think that this is the right way to treat our body? Like let's eliminate total food groups, like, or let's just overeat on one food group and eliminate this other food group. Oh, if you just quick fix it this way, and just drink whatever for, you know, a week or 10 days, like all of it are gimmicks. And so like, when I hear the name eat smarter, I'm like, yes, please. Can we just do that? Can we just be smart? Can we just stop and think about what we're putting in our body and the effects that it has? But the diet industry, the weight loss industry has really just taken over. It's a multi-billion dollar business. And so everything is seen just through that lens of weight loss instead of going, if I eat smarter, the weight loss will naturally happen. 
I don't have to trick my body. So I love just like even the name that you put on it. And you did give the book many legs. You, you, it's a centipede <laughs> for mm-hmm. the amount of legs you've given it, um, which I just think is so cool. So let's dive into the book a little bit if, if you're cool with that. So here it is, section one, you're talking about even eating for fat loss, mm-hmm. but there's no gimmicks. You're, you're going into all these different things about our metabolism and um, like the different, how the microbiome affects our metabolism and our weight loss. Can we dive into that a little bit? Because I love talking about our gut health and our microbiome. Can we talk about how that affects our health and our- Absolutely. Absolutely. So this is, for me, it's shocking that this hasn't been done before, but in Eat Smarter, I'm taking people behind the scenes and actually walking them through how their metabolism actually works. How does the process of, quote, fat loss, how does it work? You know, this isn't just about managing numbers. This is about understanding how our incredible bodies work. And we're oftentimes, of course, we're trying to target and eliminate something. We're trying to, quote, kill fat. We're trying to kill something. We don't even understand what it is. So we also talk about the various fat cell communities and how they're beneficial and how they're actually just doing the job that they've evolved to do. They're just very good at doing it. And we need to change our inputs, right? So that's one of the big uh, underlying premises is like, you, we can actually understand how fat loss works. We can understand where fat goes when we lose it. That's kind of weird. Like, where does it even go? Is it like, is it like, you know, going to an alternate dimension? Like, where does it go? You know? So all of these things were like revealing to kind of pulling back the veil. But one of the biggest things that, as you mentioned, is the relationship between our microbiota, what's happening in our gut and how that outpictures in our metabolism and our body composition. And just to start with, there's a study that I covered in the book. It was published in the International Journal of Obesity. And it revealed that the higher the diversity of gut bacteria that we have as an individual, that is directly correlated with less weight gain and improved energy metabolism independent of calorie intake. All right, independent. These are what I call epicaloric controllers. These are the things above caloric control that actually determine what calories do in our bodies. Because my first day of nutritional science in college, I was taught that calories are the boss. They control everything. If you can manage calories, you can manage your weight. So many people have suffered because it is not the end-all be-all. There are seven factors I've identified that control what calories do in our bodies. And so one of those things is our gut microbiota. So this cascade of microbes, and namely, we're just talking about bacteria right now, but there's, there's fungi, there's archaea, there's viruses, you know, there's so much that make up, you know, these microscopic entities that live in and on our bodies. We have trillions of them, trillions. We have about two pounds of flora of gut bacteria in our, in our gut right now. And so again, this is one of the big takeaways for everybody. The higher our, diver- our diversity of gut bacteria, the less likely we are to gain weight and the less likely we are to gain body fat, independent of calorie intake and other factors. So on the other side, what we've discovered is that 
as the diversity of our gut bacteria goes down, our rate of obesity goes up. Our rate of insulin resistance goes up. Our rate of insomnia goes up. So many different things are connected to our gut bacteria. And first of all, I'm a big proponent of let's remove the cause of the damage to our, to our microbiome first. Let's not just try to, let me throw a probiotic at it and try to treat a symptom that it's not going to work if we don't remove the cause. And so some of the biggest issues that are really destroying our gut microbiome um, are pesticides, rodenticides, herbicides. These are major, major culprits that are really hurting our microbiome because they're designed, they're either, these, terminolo- these terms, they're called estrogenic or neurogenic. And they're designed to disrupt the neurological cycle or the reproductive cycle of pests. And we're made of things that are much, much smaller than pests. And so they inherently have been damaging our microbiome ourselves. And so what do we do to kind of help us to avoid these things, these, you know, pesticides, herbicides, rodenticides? By the way, I, I don't think I say this enough, but the suffix side means to kill. That's what it means. All right. It means to kill, but it's designed, it's supposed to just design to kill very small things you know, on our food, but it doesn't hurt us. But now we know that it does. And really enough is enough. So I'm just going to share this one quick study with you guys as well, because I don't want to look past this. Researchers at McGill University published data finding that 68 pesticides approved by our EPA that's supposed to be protecting us have proven carcinogenic effects. So cancer causing effects. So that's part one. And also Another study, and this was published in Scientific Reports, found that pesticides create a pro-inflammatory state in the gut and disrupt our microbial gene expression. So it literally deranges the genetic expression of our microbes. So when I say this, it's not just like it sounds nice. We need to be careful about consuming pesticides and, and, and rodenticides. No, seriously, it is, it is really, really wreaking havoc on our bodies. And it's so pervasive Right now, we got 34,000 pesticides derived from like 600 synthetic chemicals that are registered by the EPA for use in this country. 34,000, it makes, it doesn't even make any sense. And so what do we do? Okay, number one, we can personally make a choice to let me get a, a little bit more intentional about buying organic food, but organic, even the labeling with organic there's some discrepancy there, you know, mm-hmm. but that's another conversation, but it's still going to be a decent step. Also buying from farmer's markets, you know, learning from where your food is coming from, that they're not using nefarious products on their food. Right. Um, on top of that, and I want to set a little disclaimer here too, Autumn, because I don't talk enough about this. People are like, well, if I, if I get one of the, the dirty dozen, right. That has the most chemicals on it. You know, so maybe it's like strawberries and then I wash the strawberries with my special with my special uh, veggie and and fruit wash. Will that get rid of the the pesticides? No. Well, (laughs) this is this is like, again, it's like a surface treatment for for your skin, for example. But your skin is made from the inside out. Right. So these that's those strawberries have been grown with pesticides. It's, It's integrated itself into the matrix of that food. You can't wash it off. 
Right. You know, so I just want us to be clear on that. It's, it's not to say that we can't clean in, get a little bit of residue off. That's okay. But I don't want us to be disillusioned that some fancy wash is going to help us to, you know, eliminate the pesticides we will be consuming if it's grown using these very destructive chemicals that again are known to destroy our microbiome, our gut terrain. All right. So I just wanted to throw that out there as well. Yeah. I think that's so important for people to know, like, because again, everything is so surface level, like, like, no, you're one of the only people there's a few, but you're like one of the big ones diving deep into this stuff to really make it understandable. Like that's what I love is, is that not everybody spends their life doing what you and I do, which is like diving deep into the science of it and what's really happening. And so, you know, they're getting their information from a magazine cover and uh, in a quick little blog article here or there. And they're not really like stopping to dive in and go, Oh yeah, the strawberry was grown in pesticides, which means it is all in there. And there is the dirty dozen and the clean 15 list that you can look at because I do know it's harder for people, you know, not everybody's blessed like we are. We live in Southern California. We have farmer's markets all year. We have access to all these healthier foods. And it's, it's, I get frustrated for America. Like I get frustrated for us. I get frustrated for people going, one, they don't have access to everything, you know, like different parts of the country just there's food deserts, like they don't even have just fruits and vegetables at all, let alone worrying about organic or, you know, commercially grown. I just want people to, I want them to get frustrated by it. I, that might mm-hmm. sound weird or bad. I want people to get frustrated because it's the only way things are going to change is if we start demanding a change. Yeah. And it, of course it comes from us learning about these things, but also like you just said, the access is, I come from This is what's really different, I think, in my approach and why I think Eat Smarter has hit a different chord is because I come from those circumstances. And all I needed to know what was possible, I just needed to know that this was a thing. I just needed to know it was possible and have a little bit of access. And I was able to transform my health. And one of the things that, and here's the thing too, I want to make sure that we're also not getting neurotic as well, because- the human body is incredibly resilient. And I've gone, I think you got to go through a phase of, of neuroticism. I think you got to go through it, but we come out the other side and realize like, okay, like I can chill. I don't have to have everything to be perfect. I just want to be more intentional and do the best that I can with what I have. Right. And that intentionality in and of itself is so powerful. You start to see options and, and, and varieties of things that have, that were there the whole time that you just didn't notice before, but going back on like, So how do we change this? I talk about top down and bottom up changes that need to be taken, that need to take place. Like bottom up is where you take that personal accountability, but it's very difficult to do that when the umbrella, when you're just faced with a system of oppression that is keeping you sick and diseased and keeping you ignorant to the fact that you don't have to be sick and diseased. And one of the studies, this was one of the craziest things Because I wanted to find out, is it true? Is it true that the very food that's in my environment in Ferguson, Missouri, the very food that was given to us through the WIC program, when my mom, you know, when when we were living in poverty and we were on food stamps and we were getting food from charities, the food coming through the drive-through windows, is it really the causative factor? And most importantly, 
and this is a huge question. I want everybody to really think about this. How the hell is a cheeseburger cheaper than an avocado, <laughs> right? How is a cost-intensive cheeseburger cheaper than something that literally can fall off of a tree? How is that even possible? And what it really has to do with is government subsidies. And the U.S. government handed out almost $200 billion in agricultural subsidies over the course of this study period that I tracked down to support the production of our, quote, major commodity crops and factory farm foods that largely show up through the drive through window and through government programs that are feeding communities. And so I went and tracked it down and I found a study. This was published in the Journal, uh, the Journal, Amer- the Journal of the American Medical Association, Internal Medicine. And they found that people who had the highest consumption of these government subsidized foods had a 40% increased incidence of being obese, all right? So it's not even a question is our government feeding the problem? It's a fact. It's a fact. And when I say our government, that's us. It's coming from our tax dollars. We're paying for this. Literally feeding a problem of disease. And again, we got to really wake up and take a look around because you get into that system and then you get into the system of pharmaceutical medication and you're just caught. You're trapped in this vicious circle. And, and all of these entities are making money off of your disease. It's not making money off of you being healthy. And so we have to become aware of these things, demand change. And I talk about that What are, in these conversations. We've seen more so than ever. There's so much polarization with politicians, but they're, they're, it's a popularity contest. They're just going to be addressing the issues that they're, they're following, the people who vote them into office. They're just going to talk about those things, period. So every opportunity we get, we bring up food for our communities. Every single opportunity we get, we bring up government subsidies that are paying, instead of paying for fruits and vegetables, that are paying for commodity crops, wheat, corn, and soy. Again, large, 90% of the grocery store is made from the same foods. It just is packaged up differently with different colors, right? So making a shift to how can we invest and get money to the farmers who, you know, again, even let me be clear, this might've started off with good intention to feed our citizens, but it's become something very twisted and we can change it. It's not too late. No, and it's not. And it, it's, you're right. It did start off obviously as a way to make sure that we were feeding everybody, but now you sit there and you look at it and you go, okay, well, you know, how is it that we have these two sides of the coin where we have such crazy numbers of obesity or morbidly obese. And then on the other side, like people that are starving and not getting enough food, we have all these crops, all these commodities, and we have a very small percentage of people that are really truly healthy given, given all the effort and money that's supposedly going into it. It's just mind blowing where we're at. And it seems to be getting worse every year not better. The numbers aren't like our obesity numbers aren't coming down. They're going up. So we definitely need to take some more action. We vote with our dollars. Obviously what we spend our money on is really telling what we want. 
All right, you guys, if you've been listening to the Let's Do Life podcast, you probably know by now that I try to be very intentional with my purchases. And I don't ever talk to you guys about things that I don't personally like or use. And a big, big goal of mine is to support businesses that are sustainable, that are founded by women, and that just create awesome products. So that is why I love each and every. I love using it, you guys. It's a natural deodorant and it just, it checks all the boxes. You guys, you have to try it for yourself. So let me tell you about each and every. Founded by two women with a mission to create a high quality natural deodorant. Love that. It's crafted with just six simple, safe ingredients. Things like coconut oil, dead sea salt, and 100% natural fragrances um, from essential oils. And right now, my listeners can get 30% off your first purchase. Just go to eachandevery.com slash autumn and enter promo code autumn30. It's promo code autumn, A-U-T-U-M-N, three zero at eachandevery.com slash autumn for 30% off today. You guys got to check it out. So it was so funny. You you were talking a little bit about how you ate earlier when we were when we first started. And I was driving down the road the other day, and I actually I was on the freeway, and there was a huge billboard. It was a McDonald's billboard, and it had a giant cup of coffee on it, and it had three huge cinnamon rolls next to the giant cup of coffee, and it said, "I run on caffeine and sweets," and I just wanted to like palm slap my forehead. Like, this is our problem. We shouldn't be running on caffeine and sugar, but we do. How is that even okay for them to have that up? You know, that's, that's crazy. You know, that's crazy. Again, I, I even talked about this as well. Like we don't really, we don't have celebrity endorsements for, you know, for kale, you know, we don't have celebrity endorsements and no, no disrespect, you know, kale is not, for everybody. I'm just throwing this out there. So, but we don't have celebrity endorsements for avocados. Like we don't have like Beyonce's like doing a commercial and then holding up a, a basket of like, you know, John, let's do it. Let's get a photo shoot going. Me and you are going to trend. <laughs> so I'm saying like, if we can have a shift in even that display, right. Of, of again, advocating health, but our culture is such that it's advocating things that lead to disease, you know? And so just circling back into, cause I really want to put the, the icing on the metaphorical cake for the, the gut association. And we talked about this before, but researchers, and this was published in the journal cell, they found a specific bacteria in mice that blocked their intestines from absorbing as many calories from the food that they consumed. And again, looking through the lens of allopathic medicine, they'll just want to bottle up that bacteria and sell it. So it can block people's intestines from absorbing as many calories. The problem with that, again, is that our bodies are not operating in a vacuum. And you don't just take something and it's going to address one thing. It's going to affect everything about you. So if we stop the intestines from absorbing as many calories and disrupting the microbe uh, profile and, and, and that kind of pro- proliferation, that the ratio, this could damage our ability to produce SCAFAs, you know, short chain fatty acids that protect our gut lining. This could damage our ability to produce B12 by our, by our microbiota. The list goes on and on. But the researchers w- then wanted to find out, okay, and this was the Wiseman Institute, how does this show up in humans? 
And so we know that there's a certain bacteria cascade that's associated with obesity. And we know there's a certain bacteria cascade associated with leanness. And so they found test subjects who have a bacteria cascade associated with obesity, and they implanted that into lean mice, all right? And then they took lean human subjects with the lean microbiome uh, makeup and implanted that into lean mice. Those mice stay the same. They stay lean, even though they're on the same diet. But the mice who received the implants from the humans with the microbe, the microbiome makeup associated with obesity, these mice, even though they're eating the same diet, these mice became insulin resistant. They gained weight and they gained body fat just by changing their microbes. So when I'm saying that your microbes are controlling what calories do in your body, this is not remotely an, an assumption. It's not a joke. Our microbes are really the front line in determining our assimilation of nutrients and also the elimination of energy as well. Our microbes play big parts in this. So we have to take care of our microbes. A big takeaway tip. So how do we increase the diversity of our microbes? Because right now we have four times less diversity in our microbiome, in our microbes, in our bacteria cascade than a person who's eating more of their kind of traditional indigenous diet, right? So folks who are more connected to what they've been eating for centuries. Here in the Western world, four times less. So just, we'll just say you have, and this is not an accurate number. We'll just say you have, the, the folks eating a natural diet, we'll just say they have 4,000 different species of bacteria. That means we have 1,000, all right? So we have a lot of things that have gone extinct. And as again, as your diversity goes down, your rate of obesity goes up. And so what's the number one thing to increase your diversity? It's not to take a probiotic. Your probiotics cannot proliferate and colonize if they don't have their preferred food source. Probiotics need prebiotics in order for them to colonize. And so we have to increase the diversity of our prebiotics. And one of the most important studies in the book found that, and this is very simple, just increase the diversity of foods that you're eating to increase your microbiome diversity. Because every single food, every single real food is a form of prebiotics. And we, there, you can go to Google and like look up a list of prebiotic foods, you know, Jerusalem, artichoke, asparagus, garlic, onions, all that. That's cool. But every single food functions as a prebiotic feeding some type of bacteria. All right. And also when you eat a food, when you eat that avocado, when you eat that blueberry, when you eat that, uh, that kale, you're eating that food's microbiome. You're eating that blueberry's microbiome and taking it on as your own. It's so powerful. It's not just this, again, seeing food through this one lens. It's like, it's this incredible dynamic relationship, you know? So increase the diversity of our foods is one of the, the big takeaways. Super simple because even, and you know this, even if we're eating healthy, we can get caught in a rut of eating the same stuff over and over again. Oh my gosh. And I, you know, I talk about how that happened to me and I had a lot of issues with my gut, um, which started about five years ago. And it was sort of, in my opinion, it was a twofold. I don't know if, I don't know that I've ever got a direct answer from a doctor about it, but I had been on multiple rounds of antibiotics over the course of a couple of years. Um, I'm prone to bronchitis when I get super stressed out. Uh, I had been sick in college, like really bad upper respiratory tract infection. And ever since then, 
if I, if I get run down, I, I get bronchitis. But every time I would get bronchitis, my doctor would automatically put me on a Z-pack, even though it, it, that doesn't necessarily cure bronchitis. So I was taking round after round and, um, that that's a huge thing that can destroy your gut biome, obviously. And I was also a fitness competitor and I had been competing for about two years, maybe two and a half. And I got, even though I was eating super healthy foods, I got really complacent with just like the same food over and over again. I don't, I can do that. I'm one of those people. I don't need a whole bunch of variety. I just said like, yeah, it's good. It tastes good. Great. I ate it. So I was eating like the same five things over and over again. And between sort of destroying my gut and maybe being very repetitive in my foods and not giving my gut bugs some diversity, I really caused myself some serious problems that I've been on a journey of healing for a while now. And one of the most interesting things that I read recently about a way to make sure you're getting enough diversity from a friend of ours, both of ours, Sean, uh, Dr. Bolshewitz said, the goal is to get 30 different plants in in a week. If you get 30 different ones in, so you can't count like blueberries on Monday and blueberry on Tuesday as two different ones. You've got to have like blueberries and strawberries and apples and grapes and asparagus and onions and rice and, and quinoa and like all those different same things. So that's my goal now. I, I keep a little log to see if I'm hitting my variety of plants throughout the week. That's, that's so good. And listen, you, you sharing that example, you know, being, Again, haphazard because bronchitis could be bacterial, it could be viral, it could be related to so many different things. And so it's just like having this cookie cutter thing. That's one of the things for us to, again, be more conscientious of and avoid haphazard use of antibiotics. We've seen the long term ramifications. As a matter of fact, I shared one of the, uh, I keep saying this, one of the craziest studies, but there's so many in the book on how antibiotics are used. In farming, they're used in, ca- in, in, in cattle to help them to gain weight faster, right? That's why antibiotics are used in feed for cattle. It's crazy the imp- because it's going to create disruption with the microbiome and create a situation where the body is more apt to absorb and get basically become more, much more stingy with hanging on to the caloric intake. So that's one big, big part. But even this gives me thinking about when we, when we think about, quote, gra- you know, grass-fed, there's this whole plethora of, you know, there's a spectrum. You know, it's grass-fed, grass-finished. There's grass-fed, grain-finished. There's grain-fed, grain-finished. There's grain-fed, oh, just screw it. We'll feed them candy. <laughs> Cows are, there's, and I shared a video. It's actually linked up in the book in the bonus guide of cows just being fed a big vat of, like, feed, antibiotics, and candy. It's insane. It's insane. And this was like on a mate. It was like CNN. They broadcast and the, they made it seem like the farmers was like, yeah, you know, and we'll make sure the cow, the cows stay healthy. But we just found it. Da, 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 da. They got this whole story behind it. What happens when you eat an abnormal diet? For us, same thing. We get sick. And so we're eating these sick animals. It's not just you are what you eat. It's you are what you eat, ate. And what this is, what we see very clearly is the ratio of omega-6s to omega-3s gets very skewed. Not just, but this, this is bigger than just an animal protein. You know, if we're talking about, you know, grass-fed or grain-fed, whatever. But also we see this in plants as well. But I want to share this study with everybody. This was published in the journal Nutrients. 
right? They found that a large increase in the ratio of omega-6s in our diet compared to omega-3s directly increases our risk of obesity, all right? We know it's right there in black and white, but another study, and this was what I broke down in Eat Smarter, found that an imbalanced omega-6 to omega-3 ratio can lead to a dysfunction of our hunger-related hormones and increase fat storage, even with caloric intake being the same. The researchers in this particular study found that a diet higher in omega-6s led to more weight gain than a diet with a more favorable ratio of omega-6s to omega-3s. Again, this is independent of calories. Right. It's so important for us to understand this. So here in, again, in our culture, we were taught that cooking with quote vegetable oil is healthier for you. Right. But that man is, is so oh messed God. up. It's, it's, Do you want it's to hear, such a, I got to tell you a crazy story about cooking with vegetable oil. You're going to love it. Yeah. Okay. I don't eat vegetable oil at all ever. Right. So I have some of my friends come in town to visit me a few months ago from Miami and they are Cuban and they make the best food. And so the guys are like, okay, we're going to make chilaquiles, which they know I love. Okay. You guys, chilaquiles is not like a healthy food at all. It's basically like fried fat, but they come home. The guys come home from the grocery store and I look at my kitchen counter and there's a huge jug, yellow jug. I think it was canola oil, huge jug of, and it says on the jug, heart healthy. And they're laughing because they know, they know I'm like fired up that they even brought it into the house and that's what they're cooking in. I'm like, come on. They're like, no, this is how we make the chilaquiles. I'm like, okay, fine, make it, whatever. No big deal. I eat really healthy. I could treat myself a little bit and eat the chilaquiles. So I eat it. Sean, I broke out in hives for a week. My arms were covered in hives within probably six hours of eating it. And I have no other explanation. Now, did I go to the doctor? No. Do I know for sure? Not absolutely, but it is literally the only thing that was different. It's not like I changed laundry detergent, fabric softener. I didn't go anywhere. I wasn't doing it. Like there was the one difference that I ate that food with that canola oil and my body just rejected it. That's listen, you, you already know this is not uncommon and I think that a lot of folks don't realize that the industrial seed oils from corn, cottonseed, safflower uh, seeds, rape seeds, soybean oil, by the way, that's canola oil, rape no, seeds, oil, which yeah. doesn't even sound like a good name. Like who thought of that was okay. Anyways, all of these, they have to be processed at extremely high temperatures and have to be refined, bleached and deodorize before they're even suitable for human consumption, just because of how terrible and, and disgusting the taste and, and the smell would be. But what people don't realize is that these polyunsaturated fats, these are the most unstable and sensitive of all the fats. It's not that polyunsaturated fats are bad for us. We've never had concentrates like that in our diet before in human history. Well, this is what happens when, when omega-6s are treated like this, they become oxidized, corrupted. And according to a study, and this was, again, just crazy studies that we talk about in the book, this was published in Inhalation Toxicology, the leading journal on this subject. They found that even the smell, even inhaling the smell of vegetable oil and canola oil while cooking can damage your DNA. 
Come on, man. What? Like what? Like how? Like what? I just, again, I get, I get really fired up. I get very frustrated very quickly because I'm like, how is it allowed? How is it allowed? But it is. And then I go, and then I get mad at like, okay, why isn't it being fixed? And then I go, okay, you know, the only thing I can have direct control over, this is something I tell people all the time is you have to control the things that you can. Well, the things I can control is not buying it, not using it, not putting it into my body and then going out there and hopefully teaching other people about it so that they don't buy it and they don't put it into their body. And, you know, sometimes grassroots is the way to get things done because yes, we definitely have people fighting for it from the top down, but we also have to just say, no, like that's, I'm not going to use that. I'm not going to put that in my body. I know, I understand what that does to it. That's crazy. Yeah, you know, yeah. I want to ask you about something else in the book. I could talk about gut health forever, but I want to ask you about something else that you talk about because I think people will really be interested in this. So you talk about different forms of currency exchange in terms of fat and energy and burning fat in our bodies. Can you just talk about those? Absolutely, absolutely. So this is an analogy that I just think is really helpful for us to understand how energy is utilized in our bodies. And so if you want to think about like a metabolic bank and glucose is cash on hand, right? It's like very easy to use, very simple to get to. Uh, It's very, you know, for the body, this is like, we'll just say we, you know, we consume a meal and we've got some instant glucose, you know, maybe you have a sweet potato and, you know, some chicken and you've got some glucose cash on hand. All right. So it's very easy. It's kind of like, okay, in, in college, in my accounting class, I was taught about LIFO, FIFO, right? Last in, first out, first in, first out. So with this is it's like last in, first out. So the last thing to come in is going to be the first thing used. So once we got that quick glucose energy, your body can use it like cash to start paying metabolic bills. All right. So that's, that's one modality. And then the next one, once we go from the glucose cash on hand, then we move to the checking account, right? So this is when we use stored glycogen. All right. So glycogen is a little bit more difficult to get to. And if you got glucose cash on hand, why would your body go and break down stored glycogen? specifically stored in the liver, also stored in the muscles. But we have to kind of, and by the way, this is not the end-all be-all what I'm saying, but in a general process, your body goes through a hierarchy of using glucose cash on hand, then writing a metabolic check to get that stored glycogen, then going and digging into the certificate of deposit, which is a stored body fat, all right? So it goes through that hierarchy. And if you constantly got glucose cash on hand, why on earth would your body go and start using stored fat, right? right? Now, again, this is not 100% true across every instance because there are little things that we can do with our nutrition, that we can do with our exercise that will get your body to bypass that normal system and, and directly start using uh, stored body fat a little bit quicker, all right? So even walking, that's much less like glycolytic using st- that glucose cash on hand, your body likes to use fat when you walk, you know, it's just one of these little interesting things. So 
But I want to give a, a little bit of an analogy for, for folks to understand how we are in our culture, which is like, in, I've seen this a thousand times, working as a strength conditioning coach at the gym, people coming in, they're about to, their goal is, is weight loss. These are not people I'm working with, by the way. Uh, but they coming in, they're eating a cereal bar and a banana right before they do their workout. They're, ne- they're never going to get to using stored body fat because their body is going to use what they just brought in. They're going to use the glucose cash on hand. Right. It's just how it works, you know? So anyways, even just making shifts with the timing of our nutrition, making little shifts with our macronutrients, not to say that any macronutrient is good or bad, just shifting some timing around, you know, and getting educated on that. So that's the analogy that I use as far as like a kind of currency exchange with the body. Yeah, I love that one. I just thought it was really interesting and for people to understand it because we're so prone, we're, we're basically trained to eat sweets for breakfast, like something sweeter for breakfast, right? Like even if it's toast, a lot of people do toast with peanut butter and jelly or, or peanut butter and honey or, or a banana. Like we go for carbs right away. Now, just by adding a little balance of that with some protein, some healthy fat, maybe a little bit smaller serving of carbohydrates. Cause like you said, I'm a morning workout person. And I know a lot of people like to work out first thing in the morning. If you put in only carbohydrates, then that's what you're going to go burn with first. So I just, I think that's an interesting thing for people to hear and to just start to think about again. I just go back to the title of the book where you say eat smarter. And it's like, what is your goal? Is it weight loss? Is it weight gain, muscle gain, endurance? Like you have to fuel your body for the goals and you have to learn how to do that. Let's talk about really quick. I've kept you for a long time, but there's one more thing I want to go over. And then I'm going to just direct people to obviously get eat smarter and read the book and uh, learn all of this. Cause you just have so much great information. I'd have to keep you on here for hours to go through all of it. But I just want to talk a little bit about like hormone function and how that is affected by what we eat because being in the field that I'm in and working with people and having a huge base of women, so many people get frustrated and they, and they, we, they say things like, well, it's my age. That's not allowing me to lose weight. Oh, well, my hormones are shifting. It's not allowing me to lose weight. So what, what's the real effect there? Uh, this is such an important question. Such an important question. The first thing is for us to, with everything, if we can start to to practice asking ourselves, what is it, right? When we're talking about hormone function, what are hormones? Where where did this idea come from? What do they do? And hormones, I think a good analogy is they're kind of like little metabolic DMs. All right, they're like little meta chemical messengers sending metabolic DMs between all the cells in your body. And essentially we'll just say, you know, it's sending a metabolic email, right? So we'll just use leptin, which is one of our body's major satiety hormones, making us feel satisfied. And our cells, that metabolic DM is getting sent throughout all the cells in our bodies because it's not just leptin. We don't just have leptin receptors in one place. We have leptin receptors in many different places throughout our bodies. But as that message is coming in to produce more leptin, produce more leptin, produce more leptin, we've got more leptin, we should be very satisfied. If we get flooded with that message, 
all of a sudden that message starts to go to spam. And so your, your cells don't quote, hear the message or see the message as it once did. It gets flagged. And I'm, re- I'm bringing this up because leptin is produced by our fat cells. It's this really crazy, poetic, twisted thing about how our bodies are and how we're designed. Because the very organ, because fat is an organ that's producing leptin is the thing that we're trying to get rid of so that we're, you know, feeling much more satisfied and confident and feeling good in our bodies. And so it's just really interesting, poetic thing. So, and I'm, I'm bringing this up to say, as we have an increase in body fat, as it just continues to go up, which you mentioned this earlier, we're on right now, we have 43% of our citizens here in the United States are clinically obese. And we're on track within the next few years to hit 50%. This is, it's like, this is the epidemic that is not being talked about. It's just not. Like it comes and goes. It comes, it like you'll hear a little sprinkle of it here and there, but it is a serious, serious issue. And so as our body fat goes up, our production of leptin goes up. So you would think we'd be satisfied all the time, but our receptor sites for leptin, those receptor sites start to downregulate. All right. So first of all, again, just giving one quick example. There's so much more I can go into with it. Same thing with insulin. We can get insulin resistance, leptin resistance as being produced in abundance and causing things to downregulate. So that's the overarching understanding with what hormones are doing. They're communicating information to all the cells in your body to be on the same page. Now, if you feel like your body is not on the same page with you, this has a lot to do with what your hormones are doing. And if we look at our bodies right now, where we are today versus when we were, say, 18, we are, everything about us is different. Very, very different. The foods that feel good in our bodies, our energy levels, when we eat certain things, even our appearance is probably very different, let alone when we're 10 years old. How the hell do you have that 10 year old person inside of you somewhere? You know, like you grew and became something different. Right. Right. And all of these things, the underlying programs are really driven by your hormones, communicating to your cells on what they need to do. All the potential for all things are already in you. And so this is why hormones are so important. So this is getting a little meta and it's kind of, it's a very big and and broad topic to talk about. But with that said, just a little bit more empowerment with our hormones is again, number one, understanding that this is why even two people, like your best friend could be eating the same diet, doing the same exercise program as you, and you might get radically different results than them. A diet framework that's working great for them might not be for you. And this is because you have unique hormonal profiles. You have a unique metabolic fingerprint that is unique to you and has never existed before in human history and will never exist in anyone after this. But one of the most empowering, but also a little bit weird, is that even yourself, your metabolic fingerprint right now, your hormonal profile right now is not going to be the same next week. It is always changing. It's always in flux. And now we have to learn the tools on how do we help to support optimal hormone function where we are today. And that's going to continue to change, right? So 
I hope that that overarching understanding is, is helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Let me ask you this. As we wrap it up, I think this is a great question to end on because what you just said could feel overwhelming to somebody, right? That, that they could have a different metabolic profile and hormone profile next week. So for the anxious person that's going, well, how will I ever know what meal plan to follow or, or how to eat if it's going to change every week? Are there like two or three tips you could give us that are just overall tips for eating smarter that will help us be healthier, just be healthier in general, even as our metabolic and hormone profile changes? Yes, this is good. All right. So number one, it's, and I'm just going to use some of the things we talked about since there's so many different pieces. And by the way, any smarter, we make it very digestible. Yes. I can't believe I said that pun intended, I guess. <laughs> People say that all the time. No pun intended. Uh, but, you know, this, it, it, it can be incredibly complex, but we make it very simple and, and digestible for everybody. But I'm going to just use some of the things that we've already touched on. So going back and talking about the omega-6 to omega-3 ratio. So your omega-3 fatty acids. So this is relating to, I specifically mentioned earlier, a study finding that that imbalance to your omega-6 to omega-3 ratio leads to dysfunction in our hunger-related hormones and increases fat storage. So this is a big player in controlling our hormones are these omega-3 fats and our omega-6 ratio. Our omega-6 to omega-3 ratio through our evolution, you might say anywhere in the ballpark between three to one to even 17 to one ratio. But now we've got folks that are like 30 to one, 150 to one ratio. It's absolutely crazy. And when we take a biopsy today of the average person's actual fat cells, the content of the fat cell versus somebody in the early part of the 1900s, we see these PUFAs, those polyunsaturated fatty acids that I talked about earlier from canola oil, you know, seed oils, things like that, that again, it exists in natural foods in a much smaller amount. We saw about 2% of our body fat was made of those PUFAs, right? Polyunsaturated fats. Right. Today, we can see upwards of 25 to 30% of our body fat is made of these PUFAs, these polyunsaturated fatty acids. We're literally not even made of the same ingredients anymore as humans, all right? So we have to do something about this and the body's incredibly intelligent. So what do we do? Number one, we gotta make sure we're adamant about getting more omega-3 fats in. And so what does that look like? Food first is gonna be ideal and specifically DHA and EPA, which is gonna be more geared towards the animal form, but also Eat Smarter is inclusive. All these wonderful diet frameworks, they're all applicable. I know the people who put, I know the top person who did the keto diet, who put that book out, you know, the top book in that space, the top vegan diet, the top, you name it. And they, they get results for their patients. They get results for their clients, but there's a big percentage of people who don't get the results. And it's because everything is not for everybody. But one of the things consistent across the board is making sure, and again, this is inclusive, that we get a good source of omega-3 fatty acids. So number one, food first, we're going to find high ratios of omega-3s in grass-fed beef, in fatty fish, so mackerel, salmon, uh, sardines, 
there's even more DHA and EPA in fish eggs, like salmon roll and caviar. I'm just throwing that out there. That's a little bit too like Robin Leach, you know, for <laughs> me, for a lot of people. Now. <laughs> but there are, there's three times more DHA, which is one of the most, by the way, the journal Neurology found that folks who eat just one seafood meal per week do in fact perform better on cognitive skills test than people who get less than one seafood meal per week. All right, so fatty fish, uh, eggs, so, you know, pastured eggs that specifically in the yolk, you're going to find some omega-3s. All of these things can help plant sources of omega-3s. People know about chia seeds, flax seeds, hemp seeds, walnuts, the list goes on and on, but that's ALA. It's different. There is some benefit, but it's not the same thing as far as regulating our metabolism and also helping to support our cognitive performance. That's DHA and EPA. Your body can convert some of the ALA into DHA, but you lose at least 70% in the conversion process, upwards of 90%. So it's not very efficient. All right. So for some folks who might be in a vegan or vegetarian protocol, they might need to consider something for themselves where they add in maybe krill oil, K-R-I-L-L, krill oil, which is a microscopic shrimp, which is, I don't even like the term microscopic shrimp because that can dissuade some folks, but it's microscopic. So it's like, you can kill more sentient beings licking the air potentially than you can like in some krill oil. So it's just, it's like where you are, where you lie on your ethics, but I still, I don't want anybody to be excluded. Right. From that, we've got a plant source, which is uh, algae oil. So algae oil, get yourself a high quality algae oil. If you are doing a strict vegan protocol, you need it. One of the craziest, I, I said this so many times in this episode, I don't know why, but it is. It's another crazy study found that the folks who had the lowest intake of DHA, omega-3 fatty acids, had the highest rate of brain shrinkage. Whoa. This is not a joke. You need DHA and EPA, and you cannot get that from chia seeds, as good as chia seeds might be. We have to get a dense source. Algae oil, the reason it's still a lower rung is that we don't have much clinical evidence on it yet. We do know the DHA is there. So at least make sure you do that. So that's one big takeaway is to really focus on getting in more omega-3 rich foods and, and ratcheting down your intake of omega-6 uh, dominant foods, specifically those oils like vegetable oil, canola oil, a lot of prepared foods, you know, even at Whole Foods, at their hot bar, they're cooking so much of their stuff in canola oil still. As if, you know, they don't got the memo yet, but yeah. So that's one. Uh, I'll just drop two more quickly. Another big thing. So what are our hormones made of? Our hormones are made of food. Our, our, our hormones are really communicating and, and do, moving throughout our system and our neurotransmitters on a water superhighway. All right. And one of the most interesting things that we, that we talk about is just a 2% drop in your body's baseline hydration level leads to direct cognitive decline. So this is an inability to manage one's body in space. So spatial awareness also decreases in reaction time, decreases in executive function. So the prefrontal cortex, so like doing mental math, math recognition, again, knowing where you are in space, basically we get dumber when we get dehydrated. All right. And our metabolism suffers as well. Our metabolism gets dumber. And one of the cool things we see with water 
is when we drink a certain amount of water, just within a couple of minutes, we see something called water-induced thermogenesis. So an increase in our metabolic rate from drinking water. It's not because our body's like warming the water up. It doesn't matter the temperature of the water. Water makes everything work better, all right? From our hormones all the way down the line, everything. It makes everything work better. All right, so that's number two. Just be a little bit more adamant about getting your water needs met. And number three, I'll just... I'm going to share food because I mentioned this food several times, but there's, again, there's so many in Eat Smarter, but I just want to share this because we're talking about hormones and I mentioned this food several times and this was published in the journal nutrition showed that the consumption of blueberries was able to reduce insulin resistance in study participants. And also a study from researchers at Harvard university found that the flavonoids found in blueberries were found to be protective against weight gain. All right. So these are both things that are targeting and looking at what's happening with our hormones, specifically the one from the journal of nutrition with blueberries directly impacting insulin and helping to reduce insulin resistance and insulin resistance. A classic sign of that is carrying around more abdominal fat. So, yeah. So I just want to throw that out there. It's just one of the many foods, but it doesn't mean you have to start jamming down blueberries if you don't like blueberries, so be it. Blueberries might not be for you. There's so many other things for us to explore and to utilize. And now we're just opening the door for us to eat smarter, to experiment, to try new things, and to enjoy the process, right? To enjoy the process. And, and also, of course, a big player in this is tapping into some deliciousness, all right? So finding creative ways. If you are, if like the blueberries float your boat, like, how do we take the blueberries and make something really tasty with it, right? Or maybe you could just snack on some blueberries, but what if we want to make like the most incredible blueberry smoothie that you've ever had? Or, you know, we add this into some kind of other dishes, you know, so maybe you've got like a blueberry combination with some of the, you know, high quality proteins that we talked about earlier. So the list goes on and on, but, you know, there's a wonderful cascade of foods for us to take advantage of. And I think that these little nuggets just make us a little bit more inspired to use them. Absolutely. I just had my Shakeology with blueberries in it. So yes, got my blueberries in, feeling good about that. I think this has been so awesome, Sean. There's so much information here. There's so much more in the book. You guys, the book is Eat Smarter. It is out and available. Local book retailers, Amazon has it back in stock. You can also do what I did when I couldn't get it on Amazon. Well, one, I download the Audible version because I like to listen to it while I take my walks and stuff. Uh, it's always really helpful for me to hear it from the author. Like listening to you read the book, Sean, just makes it go in that much more, I feel like. So however, whatever format you guys want to get it in, hardback, Audible, you guys want to download it to a Kindle or your Apple books, whatever it is, it's Eat Smarter. It's filled with so much valuable information, you guys to do just that, to make what you, how you eat smarter, more informed decisions. That's how we truly get healthy and stay healthy. And if weight loss is your goal, it will come, but let's make health our goal instead and reap all of the benefits, not just the weight loss benefits. Sean, tell them where else they can find you. Cause not only do you have eat smarter, you have sleep smarter, but tell them all the different outlets they can learn more from you. Yeah. Awesome. Perfect. Yes. Thank you so much for having me on. This has been awesome. So wherever people are listening to this amazing podcast, they can find my show is called The Model Health Show. 
and very grateful to say it's been the number one health podcast many, many times. And also you can find me on IG now. I'm much more active after my team has been on me for like years to get on there. So now I'm sharing a bunch of really, really cool stuff over there as well. I'm at Sean Model, that's S-H-A-W-N Model over on Instagram. And of course, as you mentioned, you can find the book anywhere books are sold. Um, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, local retailers. And also there's a I don't talk about this enough. There's a free mini course that I put together, video course, 10 videos that my team and I did at eatsmarterbook.com. So whenever you get the book, pop over there and get the free video mini course that goes along with the book. I think it's really going to knock your socks off. Absolutely amazing. So many ways to keep learning, you guys. That's what you got to do. I appreciate you tuning in to Let's Do Life. Let's keep doing life as healthy as we can. Sean, have an awesome day and we'll chat soon. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Let's Do Life podcast with me, Autumn Calabrese. This show is produced by Will Sterling for Podcast One. Be sure to download new episodes every week and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at podcastone.com. And don't forget to leave a rating and review. If you love a good scary story, make sure to check out Sus. Share your scare with Brennan and Jake Taylor. Was it as crazy as the movies make it? There's rumors about the Conjuring House that there's bodies in the basement right now as we speak. And they're like, if you guys don't come out right now, we're going to send in the dogs. But we went and like hid in the closet. (laughs) And the next thing I remember, you are holding me in the ocean and I see our jet skis floating away. Get new episodes of Sus. Share your scare every Wednesday on Podcast One, Spotify and Apple Podcasts.